You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. It would be impressive enough for an actor to star in a single show that changed the course of television history with iconic characters and cross-generational appeal. But the fact that John Schneider's done exactly that on a regular basis for at least four decades makes him nothing short of legendary. Whether it's currently playing Jim Cryer on Tyler Perry's The Haves and Have Nots, previously immortalizing Jonathan Kent on Smallville, and of course, Bo Duke on The Dukes of Hazard. Add in a music career as a four-time chart-topping country artist with over 20 albums to his credit, and it turns out his heart is just as huge as the fame that follows. Thanks to his co-founding of Children's Miracle Network Hospitals with Marie Osmond that has raised over $7 billion. And with two new movies coming soon, Poker Run and Christmas in Tune, let's welcome one of the most iconic television stars of the 20th and 21st century, actor and singer, John Schneider. Welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you very, very much. My goodness. That's, uh, that was the best introduction I've ever had. Well, make sure you tell Oprah that. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think well, she says something like the man you all love to hate. That's all, you know, that's it. Oh my God. Well, it. Well, it. well, John, I spent a lot of time reading your amazing book, my life, my way. And wow, Thank you. you're, that is one of the most incredible stories. I want, I don't even want to say sorry, autobiographies that I've ever read. You laid it all on the line. You were so genuine, sincere, uh, honest. And not only that, there were these little nuggets in that book that you gave dreamers like me hope because you gave these little one-liners throughout the book that just encouraged people so much. What uh, made you want to write the book? Well, actually, writing the book was my wife's idea. Uh, she, she said, uh, you need to write your autobiography. And I said, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> but uh, so she encouraged me to sit down and write that. And I, I like to encourage people to dream and to dream big. You know, we live in, uh, we truly do live in the, in the most wonderful country in the world, regardless of what the not so silent minority has to say. And we have the, uh, we have more than a right. I think we have an obligation to pursue happiness, whatever our, whatever our version of happiness is, uh, we need to pursue it. We need to reach for it, grab for it every day with both hands. That's what I've done since, uh, the ripe old age of probably eight years old. Um, and I still do each and every day. That's why we have these movies coming out. That's why we do the music. That's why we're driving to Nashville right now um, to help a friend. I'm going to go sing on an album with a friend of mine who has a big dream. So we're going to help him pursue it. You know, that is so encouraging to hear. And, and you kind of said that a few times in the book that the best way to live life is to help others achieve their dreams. And you're doing that yeah. right now. So I, I love that. But I want to ask you something because I read every page of the book. And when you auditioned for Little Abner when you were about 10 years old, the casting director gave you words of encouragement. What were those words and what did they mean to you then? 
Well, I'm just, wow. That's great that you that you took that out of there. Um, I almost got the role of Earthquake Magoon, who was Little Abner's best friend. Now, the man that played Little Abner was probably 28. Okay, <laughs> and and yeah. So the fact that I almost got that because I was I was already probably 5'10 by that time. Uh, I'm 6'3. I've been 6'3 since I was 13 years old. Um, so he he told me that the only reason I didn't get it was that he would never be able to live it down, that this child got one of the lead roles in this play. And he said, don't be discouraged by this. Be encouraged. Be encouraged by this because whatever it is you've got, you've got it times a thousand. So I took that little nugget. And I ran with it. And I'm so delighted you bring this up because that's one of the reasons why when I see someone who is dreaming and dreaming big, I encourage them always. Uh, when I see someone that's wearing a beautiful hat or a beautiful sundress or an amazing pair of shoes, I will always point it out. And I believe that it has a lot to do with that first nugget of encouragement that I got in Katona, New York, I can see it right now. I can see exactly where I was when it happened. 20 steps from the funeral home my grandpa worked in. And uh, you you pointed that out to me. And, and now, now it makes more sense to me. So thank you for that. Well, well you're very welcome. And since your grandpa went to, I saw that, uh, well, I read that your grandfather worked at the funeral home. So my father was also a funeral director. So I get what that kind of life is like. So, uh, oh, so when, yeah. yeah, so, but I want to give the exact quote to all of my viewers and listeners, John, that she told you and she, and I quote, you're really good at this and you need to keep doing it. This is what you're meant to do in life. That last sentence, John, is that what really gave you the focus and you knew right then and there the stage was made for John Schneider. Okay. And John, in the, in the last part of that quote, it says, this is what you're meant to do in life. Did that give you the focus to know that your life was going to be on the stage? Yes. And uh, something that, that the preface to that was, you are so comfortable on stage. I can tell this is what you are meant to do in life. So I have, I have shared that same sentiment with other people about being comfortable in front of a camera, uh, being comfortable on stage, being comfortable behind a guitar uh, because of that conversation that day. And that absolutely, I mean, I had to have the, the wherewithal to audition in the first place. I wasn't, I wasn't brought there. It was only maybe a hundred yards from my grandmother's house, my grandmother and grandfather's house. So it has, it, it fueled the fire that, that made it so I would have the nerve to sneak on the set of Smokey and the Bandit, made it so I would have the nerve and the gumption to walk into the Dukes of Hazard audition with a six pack of beer. Uh, it it changed it changed my life and then later i'm sure you read in there with uh, with mr king i got the lead in the basically the the senior play i got the lead in fiddler on the roof uh 
when I was a junior because the teacher, the choral teacher who directed the play, directed the, the play that year, said, I, you are Tevia. I can't give this to, to anyone else. You, you deserve it. You earned it. And you are so comfortable up there. <laughs> right. Uh, so I so I got that. So I think that's uh, that certainly has helped me, but it's helped me help other people all along the route. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, you know, I, I look when, I, when I'm reading someone's autobiography, I always like to look at the people that they mention that gave them the little bit of, well, you know, life lessons, the life nuggets that fed their dream. But in 1972, your mother saved up $1,500 to send you to a theater camp in upstate New York. And that was a lot of money back then. What did that mean to you that your mother saved up all of that money to send you to that camp? Well, you know, I was only 12 years old, so it, it meant a lot more to me later because I realized how much money that was. Um, but I, that camp was another thing. It was called Beginner's Showcase. And that was in actually Lake Sunapee, New Hampshire. I, I, I should correct that in there. And in that camp, you did, uh, if you were, you went there for theater, but you did, you hung lights, you learned music, uh, you acted, you sang. There was a writing program. There was a magic program. I'm still a, a I'm a lifetime member of the Magic Castle. So every, every conceivable aspect of theater was part of the program there. And it changed my life again. And to this day, when, when we make a movie, my wife and I just made a movie called Poker Run. I wrote it, I direct it, I edit it. And people say, oh, that's so much. I said, when I was a kid, all of that was required. Those were required skills. That didn't make me any, any more special than anybody else. These are required skills. My wife, who's sitting right over there, She's the one who produces it. She's the one who does the hard job. I'm just the one that goes out, you know, like, Wee-hee, this is fun. And I have, a, I have a great time and we make a movie. Um, so Lake Sunapee, New Hampshire and Beginner's Showcase, again, changed my life. And uh, I, I'm so delighted that you read this book and that you've, you've kept all these nuggets from it. Well, you know, John, it is, it's, it's my job to read the books from cover to cover to the, of the people that I interview. I don't like bullet points. There's, there's, there's a bigger story behind those bullet points, but that's my job to find those. But there was something I thought was so interesting that I absolutely did not know. But I had to pull up the end of Smokey and the Bandit, and there you were <laughs> at the very end of the movie. Like you said, the longest three seconds in movie history <laughs> you know, are you still jumping fences? You know, I think kind of because Alicia and I, we make our own movies, we distribute our own movies. So in an intellectual way, we are jumping our own fences, but we're jumping out. We're not jumping in. We don't want to have anything to do with a, uh, with a, a, a club that we disagree with. So we are we are not part of the Hollywood machine, not because we were kicked out, but because we left. To quote Bo Duke, we choose this life, not because we don't know any better, but because we believe it is better. And we are not going to allow anyone to pollute the well where we drink. 
So we make our own films. We tell our own stories, our own way with our own people. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So yeah, I'm in the end of Smokey and the Bandit, which is why we felt the need uh, to do a tribute to Smokey and the Bandit, which is called Stand On It. Also, both Hal Needham, who wrote and directed uh, Smokey and the Bandit, and Burt Reynolds himself became very dear friends of mine later on in life. And I know that they are looking down, smiling from the bar. <laughs> oh, I agree. I mean, Hal Needham <laughs> is just legendary uh, when it came to film. And I think I saw all every movie he ever made. And of course... Burt Reynolds, oh my goodness. I mean, he was yep. the man. You know, back in the day, you know, Burt was, Burt Reynolds and, and John Wayne. That was masculinity at its best. Now, I don't, so anybody out there that's in the woke category, don't be writing me letters because they're going in the trash. But <laughs> Burt Reynolds, Burt Reynolds and John Wayne, and there are others. That is what masculinity looks like. And my goodness, we need to have it back today. So, John, we do. you got to keep that alive. Okay, absolutely. And you know somebody else who was one of the most masculine actors of all time had your same name, Mr. Ward Bond. Hey, Ward, I, Bond, was, Ward <laughs> Bond would give John Wayne a run for his money, you know? I would so, probably, uh, so, I would agree. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. Well, you know, it's important, I think, for movies to be, not every movie has to be about a hero, but the, the recipe of what makes a hero is very complicated. It's not simple. It's not just somebody who does for others before they do for themselves, but it's someone who enjoys life, who grabs life with both hands and shakes it, you know, and who enjoys whatever they're doing. Because like, like uh, that wonderful John Wayne quote, and I don't think he wrote it, but uh, John Wayne is quoted as saying that courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. So that's that's part of what being a hero is. Going out and doing that which you believe is right, even to your own hurt. Okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's what we do in the movies. We have a whole lot of fun. I chew bubble gum in the movies. I drive a car like nobody else. We invented a new muscle car, uh, actually cut T-tops into a Hellcat Challenger. And uh, we get on down the road, whether it's gravel or dirt or asphalt or a dirt track, we are on it, going for it with everything we've got. Well, you know, and, and we're going to talk about Poker Run because I, I can't wait to see the whole film, but I saw the trailer, but there's so much in the trailer that just triggers some little, some little iconic times in, in film. But I want to ask you a question. How long did it take you to realize that you will forever be known as Bo Duke? <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to be known now as Duke Marietta from Stand Out and Poker Run, but um, you know about every about every ten years I come to that realization, and I think it's it has stuck with me now. I think perhaps it was my bride here four years ago or so. It took a long time. I'm a slow learner. So it took a very, very long time for me to realize that. I've always enjoyed Dukes. I've always enjoyed what Bo and Luke and Daisy and Uncle Jesse stood for. But it, it took my bride to 
show me, I won't say convince, to show me that there was a clever way to take that same guy, give him a different name, but have him have the same spirit of adventure, the same cavalier attitude toward life, have the weight on the balls of his feet, and start something new. So uh, my hat is off. You're holding my hat. My hat is off. That's my wife's hand right there holding my hat. My hat is off to her for convincing me of that. Uh, and now, you know, because because they've taken Dukes of Hazard off of just about every platform there is out of pure ignorance, um, still we race dirt track. Still, because of Smallville and haves and have-nots, we, we do the occasional Comic-Con. There are children, three, four, five, six years old, because their parents kept the kept either the DVDs or the VHS tapes, there are children today growing up, loving the whole community of the Dukes of Hazard all over again as if it were brand new. That makes me very happy. Well, you know, I think the character has never aged. And right. And you wear it well. You wear Bo Duke very, very well. I have to say that. And, uh, but, you know, the whole story, and, and then in your book, My Life, My Way, there is a huge chunk of that book that's dedicated to you telling the story of the Dukes of Hazard, of the different episodes, how shots were set up. It's almost like reading a miniature movie-making book, which I really appreciated, because a lot of people don't understand those things, and... For me, I always love the backstory, but you told it. You told it so well, but I've got to say this, John, and one of the most touching chapters in your book, "My Life, My Way," was your relationship with Johnny Cash. What did the Man in Black mean to you? Well, John, John meant everything to me. We became uh, very dear friends after a movie I did, well, during a movie that we did together called Stagecoach. When I met John, I wanted to come up and say, you know, oh my God, you're Johnny Cash and I've, I've been a fan of yours forever. But he beat me to it. He said, you're John Schneider. We, we've never missed an episode of the Dukes of Hazard." So he made sure that I knew that he, kind of like what, what that first person with uh, little Abner taught me, be the first one to encourage somebody. So John came up to me and he encouraged me. And then prior to that, he had done the album, the Dukes of Hazard album, where he sang a Tom Bresch song called the General Lee. So it meant the world to me. At the time, um, I had, I had become a Christian, but I had seen kind of the, uh, it was kind of surrounded with the, the uh, holier than thou, nicer than Jesus Christianity that was prevalent in the 80s. Uh, and it still kind of is. And I, I, I kind of call it the, you know, folks are wearing their sweat. They look like they just came back from a tennis match and you say, how are you? They say, oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And then they judge you. <laughs> right. They judge you. Personally, uh, when, when I met John, I saw a a born-again Christian, loved Jesus, who did not bother or feel the need to hide his scars. 
And that's very important for, for Christians who are listening, who are watching right now. If you are a Christian who forgot what it was like to think that people who believed in Jesus were pathetic, you need to get back in touch with that person. Or you will have nothing to say to someone who does not know who Jesus is. That's what I learned. I'm not sure if I explained it quite like that in the book, but that's what I learned from Johnny Cash. Wow. That, that's a testimony right then and there. And I appreciate that too. I mean, I'm a believer and I interview so many people across so many genres. And when somebody puts their faith out there, I'm like, let that light shine because and you're right, John, in this day and age, we need to be real. And that's what I loved about your book. You were so real. You were raw. You, you put it on every page. And here you are. You're saying, saying that same thing. And, you know, Jesus sat down with tax collectors and prostitutes. And, right. you know, and like you said, we can't walk around with a holier than thou attitude. You know, we got to let no, his and love I, and light shine. I know that I rub a lot of uh, a lot of Christians the wrong way, and that's okay. That's all right with me. I say, uh, I say, Jesus loves me too much for me to drink cheap scotch. <laughs> and it's just, you know, and if that if that bothers somebody, it's me. And if God, here's here's the big message in that: if God has a problem with my belief system, He will tell me. You don't have to. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, it's kind of, it's like the thing I do every morning, John, I always ask the Lord, search the motives of my heart, judge me. That way I will learn from what his word says. I don't have to worry about what other people think of me, you know, and that's what no. I loved about your book. When you go after your dream, you have a destiny. That dream and destiny was given to you by the Lord himself and, yep. and thankful that you picked that up and ran with it, you know, so, and, and so I admire you for that. And I admire you for being so sincere and honest. Uh, but I want to ask you something about television sure. real quick, because we all know John Schneider, Bo Duke will always be that person. But what did it mean to you to get the part of Jonathan Kent in Smallville? That's interesting. You should ask when, uh, there were, there were several points in my life up to that point. Uh, Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof, which I'm not sure if I mention it in that regard, but I knew I was going to get that. I knew it. When uh, when I snuck on the set of Smokey and the Bandit, somehow I, I, I felt I belonged there and they would know it. And somehow they did. When I read Dukes of Hazard, I thought, that's it. That's why I've been doing theater since I was eight years old. This is for me, or let me rephrase that. I am for it. So then decades later, uh, my agent said, they're making a, a, a show called Smallville. They'd like you to come in and read to be Jonathan Kent. And I said, I love Superman and I don't wanna be part of a, a, the final nail in the coffin of one of my favorite heroes, so no. So they asked me three times and then finally it got to, look, would you just come in and 
they basically want to see what you look like now, what you talk like now. And I said, I said, I'm sorry, guys, just no. Um, and it wasn't because I, I felt I was too good for it. I felt that this was an unnecessary piece of television. And then my agent said, would you just read the pilot? So I read, I said, okay, all right. I just wanted to get him to shut up. So I read the pilot. And I tell you, Ward, in the first 10 pages, this was the best television I had ever read. So I devoured the whole thing. And once I got to Jonathan Kent, the little light went off and said, you are for this. Go in and meet these people. Don't worry. This, you are going to do this show and you're going to make a difference with this show. Flash forward uh, to as recently as last week. We had a, 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 about 250 veterans at our studio in Louisiana on motorcycles. They stayed the weekend. And several of them came up and said, you spent so many evenings with me as Jonathan Kent in my tent in Baghdad and helped me get through some of the most horrific parts of my life. So see how it all comes around? That was actually, what is today? That, yeah, that was just last weekend. So it's amazing to me and wonderful to me uh, and, and it, it so proves that God, is, not only God is, but God is paying attention and God does have a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or where would we be, right? Where would we be? So it's, uh, it, it's remarkable. It's, it's wonderful. There has been so much life that has happened since I finished writing that book, since that book came out, that we've got we've to do another one. We just have to. Well, yeah, please, um, please write another one. We had, we had only just made Christmas cards. We hadn't even made Poker Run yet. Uh, we made Christmas cards. I think that was the movie that was coming out uh, when that book came out. So uh, it's it's very exciting, very exciting for me. Uh, with what Alicia and I are doing, I, I do feel like I'm just now finally getting traction. Even though, as you say, I mean, I've been at this for for 40 something years that people are aware of, but really 50 something years because I was eight years old in 1968. Okay. Yeah. So I've been doing this a while. Well, tell us about your brand new movie, Poker Run. Poker Run is our, uh, our sequel to the movie we did to trip, do a tribute to Smokey and the Bandit. That movie was called Stand On It, where me, Duke Marietta, Bo Duke, Marietta, gets bet half a million dollars. I can't do for real what Burt Reynolds did for pretend and Smokey and the Bandit. So we are we are off to the races in that movie. It's great, great fun. Uh, and it did very, very well for us. So the characters were so well liked by the audience that we decided to immediately do a sequel to that. So it's the same characters from Stand On It. Uh, this time we are we are in a poker game where it's a Texas Hold'em game. We get our two cards in one location. The flop is in another location. The turn is in another location. The river is in another location. And we have to race either in our cars or on, on, on the water in boats. We have to race to each location to get see what the next card is. 
Wow. So uh, this time, two and a half million dollars are at stake. And the guy that is putting up the money wants to see if he can destroy our friendship with money. So he believes that greed is stronger than friendship. And this movie is here to prove that he's wrong. Well, you know, one of the things that I noticed, which and I and I love this uh, about Poker Run, you are wearing an iconic red shirt, which pays homage yes. to Burt Reynolds. But what I thought was even cooler, it was that in Smoking the Bandit, Burt, of course, he has, you know, dark hair. He wears the black hat. You have blonde hair and you wear the tan beige hat, which I thought was a perfect way of going at it. So, see, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. There he is. There he is. It's that hat. It's that hat right there. <laughs> and, yeah. And so I'm, the only place folks can get this, uh, I urge people, get my, get my app. It's called John Schneider. It's at the App Store. It'll work on your phone, whatever phone you have, or your computer. And it will take you to every, it'll take you to the movies. It'll take you to the concert schedule. It'll take you to uh, the store where you can get a DVD or a hat or a T-shirt. Um, it's the simplest way. You can get the book. You can get My Life My Way. Uh, well, it's the simplest way to get a hold of all the stuff we've been talking about. And uh, we are independent. We are also independent distributors. Okay. So we don't work through a record label. We don't work through a movie studio or a distribution company. It is us. So when you purchase our products from us, we really appreciate it. To take it full circle, when it happens, a little ding goes off on my phone. A little bell rings. So in the spirit of It's a Wonderful Life, every time a bell rings, a Schneider gets their dream. Wow. I love that, John. Now, what is what is the uh, your website is what johnschneider.com? johnschneiderstudios.com. johnschneiderstudios.com. All right. And, yep. and I cuz cuz everything that you've mentioned uh, from the movies to the music to the merch, everything is available there, correct? It certainly is. Everything right. is available there. But if you want to stream the movies, you have to go through it's called Cineflix. D O D. But like oh. I said, the best way to do that, if you get the app, it's all there in one spot on the app. You can say, oh, music, oh, movies, oh, T-shirts, oh, the book. So it's uh, it's much easier to get the app. Yeah, but uh, like I said, we very much appreciate it because we know every time somebody purchases something from the store, we know it because we get a message on the phone. Well, I, I will tell you this, and you're going to love this because when I interview so many recording artists, at the end of the interview, I always tell my viewers and my listeners, always buy the music. Never download for free. Buy the merch. They come to town, buy their concert tickets. Because it's yes. not just the artist. It's the roadies. It's the sound engineer. It's the producers. It's songwriters. Everybody's involved when it comes to music. And, and in a way, everybody's involved when it comes to film. And I want to see you do more film, but I'm going to mention something towards the end of this interview that I, I'm looking forward to. But right now, you teamed up with Reba McIntyre for Lifetime's holiday movie, Christmas in Tune. What was it like singing with Reba? Oh, it was great. It was great. When Reba first came to town, she uh, I was already on MCA. And Reba came to town on MCA. So we got to meet each other back in probably 1986 or 1987. So we've known each other a long time. 
And that plays in the movie. The relationship really, really, really works. It's kind of like Tom Wopat and John Schneider. We look like we've known each other forever. Uh, and we've, we've, Reba and I have had that same chemistry since the, the moment we said hello. So it really, really plays well in this, in this Lifetime movie. Uh, and we, we got to sing. We'd never done a, a duet before. And in this film, I believe we have three of them. We did three duets. Wow. You know, when I was watching the trailer for Christmas in Tune, one of the things I watch for in actors is I always look at the eyes because I think the eyes tell a lot if there is a realism there, there's an emotion there, there's a sincerity there. And you and Reba have an absolutely fantastic chemistry on camera and it shows. So I encourage when Christmas in Tune uh, debuts on Lifetime, ladies and gentlemen, you need to watch it. It's going to be one of the greatest holiday movies this season. But John, I'm going to ask you probably one of the most important questions anyone can ask you. What does your wife, Alicia, okay. yeah, what does your wife, Alicia, mean to you? Oh, everything. Everything. Um, as you can tell, I'm a, I'm a guy who dreams and dreams big. Um, but really, until Alicia and I met, uh, that's all it was. I mean, I had aspirations and I worked my butt off and I, I did a lot of stuff. But I never really got in the driver's seat uh, until she and I met. So, one word everything. She's my smile. She's my laughter. She is, uh, she's my reason for dreaming bigger. And I'm a pretty big dreamer. Well, I'm, I'm glad you are because as I was reading your book, John, you mentioned one sentence and it has stuck in my head since I've read it. And you wrote a script, a screenplay called Facing Kofax, and, I, and, I, and ladies and gentlemen, it's not a baseball movie, but just reading that one little line in the book, I cannot wait till you produce that film. I want to see it, because I can relate to it just by the two little lines that you typed into that book. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm anxious to do that movie too. Um, just before he passed away, the man that, uh, that directed uh, Vanishing Point, I told him that, that I had written a screenplay that was what I thought Vanishing Point should have been. <laughs> and he read it and he said, that is the movie. He said that you're facing Koufax is the movie that I felt I made and they didn't give him his cut. So the studio, the movie that we've seen, Vanishing Point, is not Richard's final director's cut. Uh, but before he passed away, he said that Facing Koufax was indeed the movie that he wanted to make. So uh, I'm going to take that and I'm going to put that right here in my pocket. And we will make that movie in the next three years. Well, I, I, I want to be at the debut of facing okay. Kofax because I encourage you. So John, I encourage you and I encourage your wife, Alicia, that is the film that you need to make 
I know you will do it well because wow. you do everything well. So I've got to hand it to you that uh, with that. But let me ask you this real quick. Well, I thank you. <laughs> Is John Schneider yes. in a good... Yeah, well, let me ask you this. Is John Schneider in a good place right now? The best place I've ever been. I love that. I love that. Well, John, ladies and gentlemen, I want to quote John Schneider from his own book, My Life, My Way. And it reads like this. The world has stories of people who took daring chances to cross that line where hard work meets destiny. And just like John Schneider, sometimes you need to jump a fence to make it happen. So if yes, you need, you do. yes, and if you need an example of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight, then I encourage you to read John's autobiography, My Life, My Way. John and Alicia, thank you so much for joining me today. Ward, thank you very much. It's so nice and wonderful to chat with someone who has not only done their homework, but who has so obviously enjoyed it. Oh, I enjoyed it immensely. And not only that, I have already been telling family and friends to read your book, not just to read your life story. My thing is you need to read the book because there are life lessons and encouragement that they will be blessed by. So your book goes beyond your own story. It goes by those very words that are seeds that will be planting new dreams and new destinies in those who read it. Oh, gosh. Thank you, Ward. I so appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening, for watching. Uh, we're going to head on down the road. We're going to a recording studio, like I told you. Help a friend of ours with a Christmas album. And uh, you'll be able to hear it next year. Hey, looking, looking forward to it and many travel mercies and, and the Lord's protective hand and angels upon you and Alicia as you drive to Nashville and have a great holiday season. We will. We will. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Orange Friday and Merry, Merry Christmas. Hey, you take care, Ward. Hey, take care. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back after these messages.